The call is to come and see what God can do. In this series, we are we're talking about seeing, seeing what it is God can do, seeing the difference that, that God makes. I've been saying this, and, and I hope it's beginning to capture your imagination what this means. The difference that God makes is the difference between sunlight and no sunlight. No sunshine, no life, no light, no warmth. No son of God, no light, no life, no warmth for the soul. It's a big difference. And the difference that God makes when he's at work is amazing. And let's face it. It's beyond our natural capacity to understand. What God is doing is big. Because he's a big God. He's a powerful God. There's no limit to our God. There's a very real limit to our capacity to understand and to believe. Even the smallest of things. And remember, everything's small to God. We read the Bible and we, we hear of these spectacular things and there's some who don't believe. It's like this little boy after uh, Sunday school, his mom said, well, what'd you learn about in Sunday school? He said, oh, you know, stories. She said, well, which story was it today? He said, well, you know, it was a story about Egypt. Uh, I'm sorry, Israel coming out of Egypt. And she said, well, what happened? He said, well, there was this big red sea. And so the Israelites built this big bridge and they all got on buses and they were singing songs and they crossed over the Red Sea to, to the land. And then the Egyptians, well, they wanted to cross over too. But God sent these big airplanes and they started dropping bombs. God bombed the bridge and all the Egyptians died and they fell into the ocean. And his mom said, boy, you know, that is not the story. He said, well, if you would have heard the story that she told you, you wouldn't have believed it either. And the reality is, many of us don't believe. What is a very small thing to God? Many times we don't believe. We don't believe because it doesn't make sense in our natural world. We, we don't believe because we can't imagine us doing it. We can't imagine what, what you know, our hands couldn't accomplish. But friends... There is nothing impossible with God. What is impossible with man is possible with God. And we need to understand that God's bigger than, than we can encapsulate in our own concepts. Today, what our text is going to do is it's going to help us to see the difference that God makes when he's working. There are certain things that happen that we need to understand and we need to respond rightly to. So if you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to be in verses 20 and 21. Ephesians 3, 20, 21. We're going to do a little bit of background work, so please be sure and stay in that text. So let's all stand together in honor of God's word as I read Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. 
Amen. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. If you would be seated and pray now for the preaching of God's word. God's word is so good, it brings me to tears many times to think of his grace to give us this truth. For 62 verses, the apostle in this chapter and the preceding chapters has been talking about the greatness of God, of what he can do to transform lives. Paul's prayer in verses 14 through 19, it's kind of a summation of the reminder of what God is able to do for the redeemed. Look in verse 16. Look at what God is able to do for those who believe. He can strengthen us. Look what God is able to do for the redeemed. Verse 17, he dwells in our hearts. He roots us in love. Look what God is able to do. God is able to enable us to comprehend, in verse 18, God's vastness. God is able to, verse 19 says, to make known to us the love of Christ and fill us with the fullness of God. Now given all that God can do, has done, is doing, will do, Paul can't help but fall into a doxology. A doxology is a praise. He cannot help but just go into this this marvelous praise. And that's what verses 20 and 21 are. It's just a praise. It's a a doxology of God. And what we see in this doxology are are the ways that that God is working. And, And friends, we need to understand. And we can gain an understanding of what happens when God is working. So take note of these three things. The first is this. When God is working... He reveals his ability. He reveals what he's able to do. He reveals his ability. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. I, I remember hearing that read once and, and a man saying, well, you know, I can, I can imagine an awful lot. I could sure ask for an awful lot from God. And what... What the Bible is teaching us here is that our understanding of abundance is often off. What we should be asking for from this mighty God is often off. See, God God knows exactly what we need. He knows what is best for us. God wants us to be blessed. What does it mean to be blessed? Go back and read verses 16 through 19. That's the blessing of God. That's what it means to be blessed. Bless. God's abundance is not necessarily a mansion. Sometimes it's a single room apartment. Remember this. True abundance is not determined by, by what we have, but by who we are in Christ. I'll say it again. True abundance is not determined by what we have, because what we have will be taken Everything you own in this created world will be taken. Not just the physical things, your health, your looks, your strength. Everything will be taken. What will remain? What is in Christ. So true abundance is not determined by what we have, but by who we are in Christ. And God knows, he knows what is best for each of us. And what's best for me, the circumstances I need to flourish may not be what's best for you. Spurgeon, in his devotion this week, as I read, wrote, 
Unerring wisdom ordained your lot and selected for you the safest and best condition. You would run aground and suffer shipwreck if your divine captain did not steer you into the depths of affliction where waves of trouble follow each other in quick succession. Some plants die if they have too much sunshine. It may be that you are planted where you get only a little, but you are put there by the loving farmer because only in that situation will you produce fruit unto perfection. Remember this, and this is so crucial. Remember this. If any other condition had been better for you than the one in which you are, divine love would have put you there. If there were something better for you, if there was a different scenario, situation, family for you to have been born in, time you were born in, God would have put you there. God has placed you where he wants you. You are placed by God in the most suitable circumstance. Abundance is not having what our flesh desires. Abundance is being who Jesus died for us to be. And God is able. Uh, you look at, in our text, God is able. I love that word able, is, is able. It's dunamite. It's where we get our word dynamite. He's, he's capable. He's strong. He's powerful. He's able to do far more abundantly. Huper kerusu uh, is the Greek word. Uh, it's where we get our word hyper, hypercrusal. It's this, it's this overabundance to an, to an extraordinary degree. God is dynamically powerful to, to do and, and, and to work in an extraordinary degree. And it's abundantly beyond than all we ask. And in that idea of ask is desire. More than we could desire, ask, or think. Here is again built into this Greek word the idea of imagination. Beyond what we could desire. Beyond what within our natural selves we would desire. Only naturally. And what we could imagine naturally. As, as human beings in a, in a broken, fallen world. Friends, understand. There's more. Because God is greater than what we can hope or imagine. God is bigger and there's no limit to God. He can do more than any of us can comprehend. What we, what we have or don't have, friends, is determined by God. And what is amazing about God is God is able to know what is best for us. God, God is able to give us what is best for us. A, a young man, when, when I came to know him, he was an old man. And when he was young, he was raised in a, in a, in a wealthy family. When he graduated from high school, his, his parents sent him uh, to Europe and to Asia to see some of the most amazing things in the world. And towards the end of the summer, as he was getting ready to come back, he was at a place that was just beautiful, another amazing place, another amazing experience, seeing amazing things. There was an older couple there. And they hugged each other and they were crying. And he, and he leaned in and he listened in on what they were saying. And, and his wife looked at this husband and said, we made it. We finally made it. All our years, we dreamed and we saved. And here we are, we're finally here. We made it. And the man sat down with tears in his eyes and he thought, well, now what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to pursue? It took these people their whole life to get here. I'm 18 years old. 
I've seen it all. I have it all. What, what am I supposed to do with my life? For over two centuries now, the American people have lived in the most prosperous place on the planet. We have it all. At least that's what everyone says. And strangely, we have an extreme, not only success rate, but an extreme drug and alcohol abuse and suicide rate. Why is that? Why is it the people who have it supposedly all have an opioid crisis? Why is it we who sit in this room today, who probably drove here, probably have food in our home, probably have uh, uh, several changes of clothes, several changes of shoes, uh, opportunity to gain resources if we don't already have them. Why so much sadness and depression? Why so much anger and angst? The American dilemma tells us that the greatest need of humanity is not gaining stuff or getting to see things. The greatest need of humanity is gaining hope and getting saved. Friends, until Christ is our hope, we have none. Augustine of Hippo said, you you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. When God is at work, he reveals his ability to give what is best for us so we can become who it is, who it is that can be satisfied, and we can only be satisfied in the one who is the most satisfactory. Apart from God, we'll have to settle for what we can come up with, what we can think, what we can imagine what we can produce the difference that God makes significant we will always have questions of why you're 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 always going to be in this fallen fleshly place surrounded by struggles and and you're going to ask why 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 cancer for me why why pain for me why divorce for me why why relational conflict for me? Why, why sickness and weakness? Why, why not success uh, in career? Why, why my, my struggles? Friends, struggles are often a consequence of sin. Struggles are often a, a discipline from God to keep us from sin or because we have sin to keep us from sinning again. There are times when it's not a sin at all. There's no sin issue whatsoever and yet we still suffer and There are those who want to know why. Here's your answer. Go back to verse 16. Look real quick, go on. Go to verse 16 of chapter 3, Ephesians 3. If Jesus is your Savior and Lord, then God is at work in your life. And no matter what circumstance you find yourself, no matter what your struggle, no matter what your pain, no matter what your hardship, God is enabling you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. God knows what's best for you. He's put you in circumstances to see it. By the power of his Holy Spirit, you will. When God is at work, he reveals his ability to provide what is best for each of us. Now, how does he do that? That's an important thing to understand. How does he do that? Take note. When God is at work, when God is working, he unleashes his power. That's how he does it. He unleashes his power. 
Look at the second part of verse 20. According to the power, again, that word dunamis, this dynamic power at work, in ergo. In ergo, that's where we get our word energy. According to the energy within us, the power to do and the energy to do are not always equal. You have to understand something about us. We don't always have the energy to do what we have the power to do. Let me, let me explain. I've been watching this uh, show on Netflix. I'm very aggravated because there were multiple seasons and now there's just one season and I wanted to watch the other seasons, but it's called Alone. And what happens is 10 people go out in the middle of nowhere and they're basically given all the same supplies and they have to, they have to survive. And whoever survives longest gets half a million dollars. So they're in the middle of nowhere. The, the one that's on right now, I think they're in the Antarctica. And so they're, you know, they're freezing. It's, it's terrible. But whoever lasts the longest, they, 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 they win. Well, I, I've watched two seasons of these. And at the beginning, in my mind, that one's going to win right there. Look at their shelter. Look at their ability to hunt and kill stuff. Look at all the stuff that they have. And each time, the one I just knew was going to win because they had the power to win, they had the sustenance to win, lost. And I found myself talking to the television. You ever do that? What are you doing? You're going to win. You big sissy. Good grief. Here's what happened. They didn't have the ones who I thought who had all the stuff. They didn't have the energy to go on. They had the power. They didn't have the energy. They, 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 they couldn't get themselves to go and keep going as they were. There, there wasn't a, a lack of ability. There was a lack of will. Human beings made in the image of God. We have the power to know God, but not the energy, not naturally. See, to know God is to experience the supernatural. And it comes about by supernatural power. Without the miraculous, energizing work of God, we will not know him. We will remain blind and deaf and dead to God. But the power of the gospel, the power of the gospel enables us to believe and to be saved. In our sin, in the brokenness, we are blinded. We are deaf. We are dead we are spiritually dead and in and of ourselves we don't have the power to believe we don't have the desire to believe but the grace of God not only sent the son God himself to take our place and to die on that cross for our sin and for him to be raised so that he can reign and live in us God sent the Holy Spirit, and it is the Holy Spirit that gives us life. We are born again by the Spirit so that we repent and believe the gospel so that we can pursue and recover God's design. And what does it mean to pursue and recover God's design? Go back and read 16 through 19, Ephesians 3. That's what it looks like when you're pursuing God. That's what we're saved for. That's what the power of salvation provides for us. It is the power of the gospel. That's why Paul wrote in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek the gospel has the power to do two things. And I want you to catch these two very important words. And 
We use these words all the time. Most of you are going to say, I already know these words. Write them down. The gospel has the power to save us from sin. To save. We're about to begin to celebrate Christmas. Some of you have started way too early. Not going to judge. Matthew one twenty one. She will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. That's why Jesus came. It was not to be a moral example. It was not to be a great teacher. Jesus Christ is the savior of God who takes away the sin of all who believes and gives eternal life through faith. It is by grace through faith. This gospel truth, we believe, saves us from sin and it also sanctifies. We, we are saved and we are sanctified. The gospel has the power to save and also to sanctify. Ephesians chapter 5, using an illustration of marriage, the apostle Paul writes, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What was Christ doing? What is he always doing? That he might sanctify her, set her apart, How does he set us apart, his church? How does he set apart his redeemed people? Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. This is what God is doing. He he has saved us to set us apart for himself so that, that we will live for him so that we can experience the life that he died for us to have. The power of God is the gospel. It energizes or works in us by faith. And when God is at work, he unleashes his power to to save and to sanctify us. And what he has begun, he's going to finish. Philippians 1, 6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Until Christ returns or takes us home, we're going to be fighting sin if we're Christians. If you're not a Christian, you're not going to fight sin. If you're not saved, you don't care. You're going to get everything you can out of this natural world. But if you're saved, you're going to fight. Paul, again, writing to his protege, Timothy. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. I underline that in my scripture. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. The way we know that the power of God, the gospel, is at work in us, it's being effective in us, is that we fight. A part of your assurance of salvation is that you're fighting sin every day. It's not that one day you're going to be perfect on this planet. No, my friends, we live in the flesh. We're surrounded by evil. We're always going to be fighting. Fight. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight against sin. Kill it. Stab it with the word of God. Hold to the promises of God. Go back and read Ephesians 6. Get on the armor of God and fight. We will either submit to sin or we will fight sin. 
If you're not a Christian, you're just going to submit to sin. You're just going to say, hey, you know, this is how I was made. This is what I like. I have a desire. It must be, it must be what's right for me. It may not be right for you. It's whatever I feel. Okay, you're submitting to sin. You're, you're lost. You're condemned. You're dead to God. You're blind. You're deaf. And you're dead to God. It makes sense that you would live the way you live. But if you have been born again, if you have been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, and you've been given new life at the expense of the blood of Jesus, then you are commanded to fight, to fight sin every day. And that is your assurance of salvation. You say, I keep sinning. Are you still fighting? Yeah, you're saved. Assurance of salvation comes through the battles that we fight and win. There will be fruit. There will be victory. You will overcome more and more, but you're going to continue to fight. And don't fight just for you. Fight for others. Fight for their salvation by loving them, praying for them, sharing the truth with them. Friends, fight so well. Fight so well. Get these three categories down, okay? Fight so well so that when you die, first of all, the demons of hell say, I'm glad that one's gone. Friend, are you such a threat to the demons of hell that the day you die, they will throw a party and say, I'm glad that girl is gone. I'm glad that man has been removed because he has done nothing. She has done nothing but fight us. All they do is pray for these lost people. All they do is honor Jesus Christ. They give financially. They they serve. They sacrifice. Woo, I'm glad they're gone. Fight so well that the demons of hell say at your death, I am so glad that one's gone. Fight so well that when you die, you can say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Fight so that when, when you're dying and you're done, you can say, I'm good. It is well with my soul. And fight so well that God can say, when you die, well done, good and faithful servant. Understand that when we fight, we glorify God's name. And that's the third thing that happens when God is working. When, when God is working, he glorifies his name. He glorifies it through us. He glorifies his name by what he does in us and through us and for us. So that we say, as Paul did in this doxology in verse 21, look at that. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Understand, God is glorified in the church through three ways. The salvation of his church. Just write these words. Salvation, sacrifice, celebration. Write down those words. Salvation, sacrifice, celebration. So when God's people are, are, are saved and they begin to make sacrifices for the kingdom of God, financial, emotional, time, energy, willing to step out and have people ridicule us because we dare to believe in the resurrected Lord, because we give up things that we want 
so that the kingdom of God can go forward. And when we gather, even if the government tells us not to, we gather. Even when everyone says don't, we do it. We gather. We celebrate Jesus Christ. We celebrate him. And not just when we gather with the church, but when we go to work on Monday, when we're having dinner on Wednesday, when we're, we're going out for the weekend on Friday, we celebrate Jesus. So God is glorified in our salvation, in our sacrifice, in the way we celebrate what he's done. And all these happen in Christ Jesus. And these happen in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Friends, God is spreading his grace generation to generation. Our mission It's very simple to impact our homes, our neighbors, and every generation with the hope of Jesus. Like the psalmist, we must say, we will not hide, we will not hide them from their, from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. That the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but Keep his commandments. Yes, salvation, sacrifice, celebration. These happen in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen for all the redeemed of God. Because one day, all the redeemed of God will be gathered as the bride of Christ. We will wait as the as the rightful king of heaven is crowned. And then we will be brought forth as the bride to be married to the groom. And we will enter into a whole new way. Jesus said in John 14, 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I say I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where, where I am, you may be also. This is the picture of the coming of Christ, that we, his bride, will be brought to the groom, that he will be enthroned, and we will be with him forever and ever. Revelation 7 gives us the picture. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This is the doxology of all the redeemed. This is how Paul praised having seen what God is providing. God makes all the difference. And when God is working, the wise response is to join him. Some of you stand as enemies of God right now because you are blind, deaf, and dead to God. It's not that you're any different than all human beings born on this planet. We're all born that way. 
but you by faith can be saved. Let's bow our heads together. Father God, I know that there are some who are lost. Some maybe who are listening right now, and I pray that right now, Holy Spirit, you will give them the the power to believe, the energy to believe. So if that is you right now, right now, in your heart, tell God that you've sinned and that you're wrong. Ask him to forgive you of your sin and to give you the life promised in Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. Some of you are the redeemed of God, but are you living like it? Are you fighting the fight of faith? Or are you just submitting to sin? Are you just going along with cultural norms? Do you know the word of God? Do you know the promises of God to live them and pray them? Ask God right now to renew your faith commitment to him that you will fight the good fight of faith. Father, we ask that you would enable us to do this. And and Lord, even as some right now are being saved and some are being sanctified in their renewed commitment to you, we pray for revival. Revive living hope. Revive us. When there is a revival of your people, there's an awakening amongst the dead. Oh God, bring to life our city. Over 100,000 will be in their homes today rather than gathering for worship. They will not worship electronically. They won't worship you. They may worship a sports team or the sunshine or the blessings. But God, not you. Bring life that all might know you and worship you. And we promise to give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen.